How we doing? I saw a thumbs up from the back, so that's always good. Okay. <laughs> well, it is good to be gathered as the church. We're going to start off our morning by singing a couple songs that just sort of focus our minds and our hearts on God. So would you stand with me as we, as we start off in song? Let's sing this to God. You are holy, great and mighty. The moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever. My heart will sing of how great you are. Falling from the clouds. It's falling from the clouds. A strange and lovely sound. I hear it in the thunder and the rain. It's ringing in the skies like cannons in the night. And the music of the universe plays. Singing, You are home. Great and mighty, the moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever. My heart will sing of how great you are. Beautiful and free. song of galaxies is reaching far beyond the Milky Way. Let's join in with the sound. Come on, let's sing it loud as the music of the universe plays. Sing it, church. You are holy, great and mighty, the moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me forever. My heart will sing of how great all glory, all glory, honor, power is yours. Amen. All glory, honor, power is yours. Amen. All glory, honor, power is yours. Forever, amen. Sing, you are holy, great and mighty. The moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me. Forever my heart will sing of how great you are. You are holy, great and mighty. The moon and the stars declare who you are. I'm so unworthy, but still you love me. Forever my heart 
we'll sing of how great you are. Would you just close your eyes for a second? We're going to pray together. God, we know that you're with us because you're always with us. But we just ask that you would help us to be aware of you. God, help us to be open to what you have to teach us this morning. God, we invite you to move in our lives. We know that we need you. And God, right now we just reflect that you created galaxies and planets and stars, but you also created us. And you know us by name. Turn of events, you ask. 
sections. This is a really large space. Um, I don't even know how many people it seats, but I think uh, what we've done is we have divided the space up into three distinct sections so that we can kind of create a more personalized atmosphere. So if you haven't had a chance to connect with your section leader yet, be sure you do that. They'll be standing kind of in the back of the church. Uh, they'll be wearing lanyards around your neck, and they'd love to talk to you, get to know you, and help you uh, get connected to First Church. And also, um, if you're here for the first time and maybe you're not aware, we've got a great kids program called Kids Zone. It's the best hour in a kid's week. And so if you'd like to get them checked in, you can do that now. You can just take them out to the gathering area and somebody will uh, get you checked in there. Uh, so this is a time in the worship where we give back to God. So we're going to ask our ushers to come forward uh, and prepare to wait on us. And uh, one of the things that we do with, with our offering here is that we uh, partner with organizations like Mosaic. Uh, if you've been in downtown Benton Harbor, you've seen uh, Cafe Mosaic and the Mosaic Resale Store. They're doing some great stuff in our community uh, to help restore God's ideal and serving those who are marginalized. 
And another way we're, we're partnering with them and other area churches is um, through this uh, Seek God for the City um, Prayers of Biblical Hope. And so we have these guides here. When you leave uh, the worship space today, you can pick one of these up. We're going to be praying through this book for Lent. And it's going to be a great way for us to partner with other churches in the area as we pray for the restoration of our city and our community. Uh, and I can tell you as the missions director here that God is doing some amazing stuff in our community. And it's great to be part of a church that's so integrally involved with uh, this work that God's doing. Uh, so let us pray. God, we thank you so much um, for the opportunity to gather here. We thank you uh, for the family and friends that you've brought around us. God, we thank you for the baptism we're going to celebrate today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts to hear what Pastor Kevin uh, has to say to us and what you're going to be speaking to us, Lord. And um, God, we just we continue to pray for our city that you would bring revival and that you would um, bring those who are far from you close to you and that we would all come to better understand uh, your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And while we take up the offering, we, uh, as you notice, that we did not show the 10 before this morning. That's because we have changed it to the pulse. Pretty cool. Uh, and we'll be watching that right now. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Pulse. My name is Caleb Weeks, your high school pastor. The Pulse is our newest way of letting you know what's going on in the life of our church. We want you to know that you are invited to join us for worship every Wednesday night. For the past month, as a church, we've been really seeking God and praying for revival. So we recently kicked off what we're calling Downpour. It's 15 minutes of worship and prayer before Wednesday night programming starts at the St. Joseph campus. If you wanna be a part of this movement, all you have to do is show up 6 p.m. every Wednesday in the sanctuary. Here at First Church, we have some awesome opportunities for you to get involved outside the walls of our church and serve in the community. One way is to be a Jobs for Life mentor in Benton Harbor. Any adult can do this. We walk alongside people who are unemployed and in poverty, provide them with support, guidance, and love. This is an awesome opportunity that you have to break the cycle of poverty in our community. If you're interested in being a Jobs for Life mentor, stop by the Info Hub today after the service. Hey, you guys have been great. This has been The Pulse. My name is Caleb. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Um, well, if you don't know me, that's okay. Uh, my name is um, Pastor Kevin, and I serve as the Benton Heights campus pastor. And uh, me and Pastor David switched spots this morning. Um, if you don't know why, uh, Pastor David and our worship pastor, Art Gift, they kind of made a, a friendly wager on the Bears and um, Packers game. And... Um, and so Pastor David was like, yeah, sure, the Packers are going to beat the Bears, right? And that seems like one of the safest bets ever. Um, but as God would have it, uh, the Bears beat the Packers. And um, so because of that, Pastor David is at Benton Heights right now, and he's preaching in a Bears jersey. So, so, so you have time to leave if you want to do that. I won't be offended. Um, but, um, but he's wearing uh, a Jay Cutler jersey of all Bears players, all right? I don't even think Bears fans wear Jay Cutler jerseys, uh, but Pastor Culp is. So uh, I'm glad to be with you this morning. And, uh, hey, I want to say thank you personally for um, praying for me. 
Uh, my family praying for Benton Heights family. Um, thank you for doing that. May you continue um, to pray for Benton Heights as God is doing amazing things out there. I also want to take time to welcome our online campus. Thank you for being with us as we um, open up God's Word. So let's jump in. So more often than not, I find that mankind is very apt to be critical. Wouldn't you say so? Um, we wouldn't say it that way. We would say things like, uh, we are, have strong opinions, or we would say that we just speak what's on our mind, or we're honest, or we just tell the truth. But really what it is, is we are just critical. We're some critical people. And um, if you're honest this morning, how many would say, you know what, at times I can be critical. It's okay, raise your hand, it's okay. I can be critical. Now the, the old pastor joke after that is to call out the people who didn't raise their hands, right? And so the people who didn't raise their hands, the reason they didn't raise their hands, they was being too critical of the way you raised your hand, right? Like, why'd she raise her hand that way? Or He raises his hand for everything, you know? But you know what? Really, truth is, um, we have people in our lives that always love to tell us how they feel about something, just critical individuals. And technology has made it so convenient for us to be critical, hasn't it? Just so you know, if you're on social media, whether you signed up for it or not, whether you agree to it or not, you have a running scoreboard of your popularity. And people decide whether you are popular or not. Um, but also, what this has done, social media has created this virtual platform where we can vomit criticisms onto one another. And that word vomit is a word picture that probably wasn't the best one, but you can even vomit these criticisms on one another. Meaning this, we log on to our social media accounts, and we see what somebody typed out in a thought, their status. And we feel this need on the inside of us to comment and to criticize their thoughts and dissect it and break it down and disprove it. Or we see somebody's picture that they may have posted, and we feel this need to, to comment about their experience. And technology has also changed the whole consumer experience as well, hasn't it? I don't know about you, but for me, before I buy anything, and I mean anything, I go online and I look at its reviews, right? How many of us do that? We go online and we look at its reviews. But the funny thing is, I don't know about you, but for me, the funny thing is we're not looking at its reviews. We're really only looking for one review. We're looking for the critical review, right? Tell me. Tell me why this product doesn't work. Or tell me what's wrong with this product. Tell me what the shortcomings of this product is. Tell me why I shouldn't spend my money on this product. And we have this critical. We are just a critical people. We're critical of the restaurants we dine at. We're critical of the church. We're critical of the government. We're critical of the movies we see. We're even critical of the sports teams we're fans of. By the way, there's a game on today, if you didn't know. Um, if you're a Lions fan, you didn't know that. Uh, I'll say that as a Lions fan. Um, but we're just critical individuals. And you may be wondering, what's wrong with being critical? Well, the problem is, whenever we're so critical, what happens is we have the temptation of allowing that critical attitude to flow over into our view of God. And then we become critical of God himself. 
So what I want us to do this morning is in this downpour series, A Life of Worship, we're seeking out revival, personal revival, and revival as a church. And we actually have a working definition of revival. Revival is the intensification, the intensification of the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. Intensification of the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. That's what revival is. That's how we're viewing it. Now, we have this critical, we can at times have this critical view of God. And we would never say that. We would never admit that because we're too holy. But we do. Because at times we ask the questions, if God was so good, why is all this happening? Or if God is so mighty and so powerful, why haven't things changed? So we have these critical attitudes. I myself have told God once or twice. I've consulted him and and, and told him once or twice how he could do his job better. Um, Maybe you're with me, maybe not. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the life of Job. Because we can really relate to Job, especially when it comes to these critical attitudes. So a little backstory on Job. Job was God's prized possession. If there was like a stand-up man... Man of God, it was Job. Like God bragged on Job so much so that one day the angels were having a meeting with God. Literally, that's what was happening. The angels were having a meeting with God. And Satan shows up to this meeting. God looks at Satan and he said, where'd you come from? Where you been? And Satan literally said, well, I've been here and there. I've been roaming around. I was was down on earth. And then God asked Satan this question. Did you notice my servant Job? Did you see Job? He's the most faithful man. He's he's so faithful and he shuns evil. He's one of the most faithful servants. Did you notice him? Satan said, yeah. But have you ever considered that the only reason he's so faithful to you is because you protect him and you bless him and you take care of him? And and he's, he's one of the richest men in the world. Have you ever considered what would happen if you took away all his riches? I bet that Job would curse you to your face, God. And so God and Satan kind of make this friendly wager that, you know what? I don't think he will. And so they kind of make this deal of, let's see if Job will turn his back on God and curse God to his face. And so God said, there's rules to this game. You can do anything, but you cannot mess with Job himself. Satan said, deal. Angels and God continue their meeting. Satan goes down to the earth, and what happens next is incredible. He goes down to the earth. Job was sitting in his house, and a servant runs in and says, Job, some thieves, they came, and they they stole your donkeys, and they they stole his donkeys. They stole your donkeys, and and they killed all your servants, and I was the only one who was able to escape, and I'm the only one who made it alive. And before that servant can finish his story, another person stormed through the door and said, Job, lightning struck and it killed all your sheep and it killed all your servants and I was the only one who survived. And before he finished that story, another servant ran in and said, Job, some raiders came and they stole all your camels and they killed all your servants and I was the only one who survived. And before he could finish that story, another servant ran in and said, Job, your children were having dinner at your son's house and a tornado came through and it blew down the house and they all died and I was the only one who survived. In minutes, literally minutes, 
Job went from being one of the most wealthiest men in the world, having it all, to having literally nothing like that. What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? What do you say? Well, what did Job do? What did he say? Let's look. Job chapter 1, verse 21. This is what Job said. He said, and understand, I'm from Dallas, Texas. So when I say naked, it's with the E. I'm not doing it on purpose. That's how I pronounce it, and that's how it's. So I'm not doing it to be funny. That's how I say naked. It's just naked. So I didn't learn the other way. (laughs) So Job 121, he said this. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of everything that Job just experienced, he said, blessed is the name of the Lord. Now, in the midst of everything that just happened, minutes of losing everything he had, all his servants died, his own family, his own children get killed, Job responds with what I would call a really spiritual response. Don't you think so? I couldn't respond that way. I wouldn't be able to respond that way. But here Job is placing his entire trust in God in the midst of all the suffering that he's going through. He places his entire trust in him. But Job wasn't perfect because later he begins to struggle with this. He begins to struggle why all this happens. He begins to struggle um, why did God allow this. He begins to struggle even his own health becomes an issue. He gets these sores all over his body from head to toe. And on top of that, he has friends stop by and tell him, hey, Job, man, just give up, man. Just curse God, man. Just let this be over with. Job started off good, but he starts to crack a little bit. And he starts to ask questions, and he starts to get critical. You ever been there? And so this, this is the question that Job asked God. Job 13, 23 and 24. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face? Why do you count me as your enemy? Job is simply saying, haven't you punished me enough, God? Job is simply saying, at least show me my sin. Show me my area of my shortcomings so I can get it right, so I can can stop doing it, so I can stop all this punishment. At least show me what I'm doing wrong. He didn't feel like what was going on was fair. Job didn't feel like um, he didn't earn what he was receiving. Have you ever felt that way? You didn't earn what you were receiving? I mean, sure, God, I deserve some type of punishment. Sure, God, I deserve some some, some type of punishment. discipline, but man, what you're giving me, I didn't didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. So this is where Job's at. Well, God answers Job in chapter 38, verses 1 through 4. This is God's answer to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said this, who is this that darkens counsel? By words without knowledge, meaning, Job, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're going to ask me questions? He said, you dress for action like a man. God says, listen, 
I don't dress like you do. I'm so otherworldly than you are. And you dress like a man. And you're going to come to me and ask me questions? He said, okay, that's fair. He said, well, I'm going to go ahead and question you. And you make it known to me, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Verse 12, he says, have you, have you commanded the morning since your days begin? Have you caused the dawn to know its place? And God goes on for three more chapters asking Job questions about the measurements of the universe and kind of sarcastically prodding Job. Come on, Job, give me an answer, Job. You know, surely. How big's the universe? You know, and if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, God then questioned Job about the, um, about, about the other world, about the heavenly places. And he questions Job about, what do you know about Job? What do you know about storing up rain? What do you know about storing up hell? What do you, what do you know about, about whistling and lightning comes? What do you know about the constellations of the stars? What, what do you know about the origin of light? Job, what do you know about, surely you know something. Come on, let me know, Job. He kind of puts Job in his place and he kind of uh, intimidates Job and kind of humbles Job. You see, I think Job was dealing with a few barriers, a few barriers that are all too common to you and I. I'm going to call these barriers barriers to God's downpour, barriers to God's revival, barriers to God's um, pouring out of his downpours. You see, we're seeking revival together as a church and individually, but we oftentimes forget that there can be barriers to these things. So what I want to do is I want to take a few moments to identify some barriers that were evident in Job's life. And if we're honest, uh, we may find these barriers evident in our lives. So the first barrier is this. Barrier to God's downpour, number one, is a distorted view of God. That can be a barrier. You see, Job had this low and limited view of God. And it was this low and limited view of God that caused Job to ask all these why questions. It was this limited view. Have you ever had a limited view of something? You know, one of my favorite parts of winter is um, the, uh, the, people who, the people who have poor time management skills. And because of this, they're always running late. And because they're always running late, uh, what they do is... They, they go to their car, and they don't have the time to scrape off the frost or the ice from their windshield. And so what do they do? They take the scraper or their credit card, and they just quickly scrape off just a really small window, really just big enough for their eyes, and they, and they get in their car, and they drive away. And then what I love about that is seeing them drive because they're driving, and they're, like, looking up, and they're looking over because they don't have, they have a limited perspective. Or have you ever been to an NBA game and sat in the cheap seats? I mean, I'm talking about cheap seats. I'm talking like seats like where people are mistaking you as part of the technical crew because you're like up in the rafters, man. I'm talking about like cheap, like you're carrying your nachos and you get vertigo and like almost faint. You, know? <laughs> you don't get it, man. I'm talking about cheap like where there's like oxygen mask attached to the seat because the air is so thin up there. Like the mascot don't even come up there. He just waves. You know, he's like, hey. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so have you ever been to one of those games? And um, what arenas do is they like to label those places with special names. They call them Loud City 
or they call them this, the crazies, or they call them something. And all they're do, trying to do is make you feel good about buying a ticket to sit in the arena to watch the game on a large television. Because that's all you're doing. Because you can't see the court. I mean, you can see the court, but you have a limited perspective. You really can't make out what's going on on the court. I mean, like you're mistaking the ref for LeBron James, right? Like, why is LeBron James wearing pants? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, because you have this limited perspective. Hear this. A limited view gives a limited experience. A limited view will give you a limited experience. It's true with sports. It's true with driving around with a small, um, with frost on your window. And it's true with God. Your limited view will give you a limited experience. You see, that this is, this is the problem with Job is he, he limited God. He, he made him so low. Job made God so low that, that, that he kind of put God on the same playing field that he was on. But God was so much bigger, so much more vast. But Job made him so low. He had this limited view of him. Therefore, he got a limited experience of God. Now, we would never limit God to that extreme, but we limit God in other ways. We limit God's faithfulness. Therefore, at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, reports are due and we're stressing out, not, not feeling like we're going to get it done, not, not feeling like God's going to come through, or, or, maybe, or maybe we're stressing over our finances, or maybe we're stressing over a relationship, and we limit God's faithfulness. Others of you, you limit God's power. You're married, and the marriage isn't going as smooth as it once was. And you're beginning to wonder if God even has enough power to save your marriage, to keep you guys together. And the limited perspective on God, this limited view of God, is acting as a barrier keeping the revival that God wants to pour into your marriage. There's some of you in here, you're single. And more than anything, you want to be married and you want to raise a family. But you lim- you're limiting God's provision. You're thinking, man, I-, I-, I want to get married, but I don't know where to go. I don't know where to look. And I don't know. And you know what? God is saying, hey, I have somebody for you. But you're limiting God's provision because you don't think that. You're not sure about that. And you're limiting God. A limited view always equals a limited experience. Now, let's go back to Job. We carry these limited view of God. We carry around this distorted view of God, and I believe that it can act as a barrier to the downpour that God wants to pour into our lives, to our families, our communities, our jobs. Back to Job. So after God kind of puts Job in his place, after he responds to Job, Job then responds back to God. It's found in Job 42, 1 through 6. It says, Then Job answered the Lord, and he said this. He said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. I, I, I said some things, God, that I had no idea about. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. 
I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. So Job changes his mind real quick. And he's like, hey, I know you can do all things, God. But look at what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says, I've heard about you, but now my eye sees you. In other words, I now have a clear understanding of who you really are. Now my perspective of you, my view of you, is no longer limited. Now here's the point I want to make about this. Hearing doesn't equal experiencing. Just because you've heard about God doesn't mean you've experienced God. Job said, I've heard about you, but now I see you. What I want to tell you is that some of you have been coming to First Church for over 20 years. And you've heard a lot about the Lord. But my question to you is this. Have you seen him? Have you truly seen him for who he really is? Have you truly seen him in all his might, in all his glory, in all his power? Have you truly seen him? Have you taken the, 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 this limited perspective off and have you truly seen God? Because the crazy part is, maybe there's more. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's more to the limited experience that we are experiencing of his presence right now. Maybe God is just waiting for us to expand our view of him and truly see him for who he really is and for what he can really do. And once we do that, maybe we'll experience him in full. So maybe there's more. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know if it's distorted. I don't know if it's healthy. I don't know if it's small. I don't know if it's limited. But what if there's more? What if God wants to remind you? What if God wants to ask you the question, what do you know about storing up rain? What do you know about making sure the stars come on at the right time? What do you know about making sure the sun comes up and the moon comes up? What do you know about that? I know all about that. What I'm trying to say is, once we get this vast view of who God really is, it'll change our experience. It'll change your experience. What if we could do that as a church? What if we could do that as individuals? I need to move on, because I'll keep going. So, we have this distorted view of God that can act as a barrier to God's downpour. But secondly, not only is there a, a, a distorted view of God, but secondly, maybe we can have a distorted view of ourselves. You see, Job, for a minute, Job was um, concerned because he felt like God was being unfair. He felt like he didn't deserve what was happening to him. And Job went as far as to say, he went as far as to tell God, listen, God, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I don't even look at things that are impure. I don't even look at things that are evil. And then he goes on to tell God, listen, God, isn't um, destruction for the wicked? Isn't, doesn't calamity fall on the unrighteous, God? Why is it happening to me? 
Please, God, you see me. You see my interactions. You see the way I live. You see what I do. Please tell me, where have I fell short? Where am I wicked? Where am I unrighteous? Please, God, tell me. And Job kind of has this holier-than-thou attitude. And we can fall into that same trap, can't we? Have this distorted view of ourselves, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we walk around with our spiritual chest out, making sure that everybody knows that we can name all the books of the Bible in order, as long as we can say them to a tune. And we walk around with this spiritual chest out. And then what happens is we begin to look to the left and look to the right, and, and we begin this uh, comparison game. And we say, well, I'm more spiritual than they are. I would never say the things she says. I would never do what he does. And all of a sudden, we're in this spiritual comparison game that we always find ourselves winning because we're the only ones competing. And we're comparing ourselves to other people. Let me tell you, man, it's a dangerous place whenever you think that you Whenever you think that you've arrived, that's a dangerous place. So last month, I got to go to an NBA game. And um, not all the time, but sometimes. Not all the time do I have to um, sit in the nosebleed where I have to use the oxygen mask to make it through the whole game. Um, and I have to work on the cables up there and stuff. And I'm like, uh, so not all the time do I have to do that. Sometimes I get good seats. Well, somebody gifted Jerrica and I, not with good seats, but with great seats floor seats. And um, you know what? Whenever I said that in 930, everybody's like, ooh. <laughs> it's like, literally, I said it. And um, so they gifted us with floor seats. And what happens every time that I sit close in NBA games, as I'm sitting down, the players don't look as tall to me. They don't look as fast, and they really don't look that good. <laughs> and so I saw this rookie, and um, I swore. I mean, like, I was like, he's as tall as me. Like, this is crazy. He's as tall as me, and, like, he was super skinny. And so I started doing the math. I was like, listen, I'm 33 right now. I'm 33, man. If I spend two years, man, in the gym, man, and I get in, like, NBA shape, man, I work on my game, I got a chance. And right then, no lie, the lights went out in the arena. The lights went out. Not, not the whole arena, but just on the court. And they need those lights for TV. And so the lights went out. And so the players, um, 15, 20-minute delay. And so the players came off the benches. They were stretching and shooting around. And I looked up, and I was like, man, to God. And I was like, this is my chance. This is God, like, giving me a chance. I was like, man, this is it, man. And so, I, hey, man, I was like, this is, my, this is my chance, man, to shoot around with these guys, prove myself, man, get that contract. I seen Like Mike, Lil Bow Wow. I seen that movie. And so, man, I was like, this is my chance. And so as I was standing up on the right there, right, right, right as I was about to call to Paul George, man, to give me a pass, man, give me a shot, that rookie standing next to him, um, He's not that tall, or he's not that short. He's actually 6'6", and a lot bigger than um, what I thought. My point is this. The moment that we think that we're somebody, the moment that we actually stand next to the somebody, we truly see 
who we really are. And so what I'm saying is, it does us no good to compare ourselves to one another. Who we ought to be comparing ourselves to is a holy and righteous God. How do we measure up whenever we compare ourselves to a holy and righteous God? I don't need to tell you, I don't need to remind you that we all fall terribly short. Um, Some of us, we have a too high a view of ourselves walking around with your spiritual chest out. That can act as a barrier to God's downpour in your life. But there's others of us who we're not walking around with a too high view of ourselves. The view of ourselves is actually too low. Some of you in here, you don't feel like you're good enough for God. You don't feel like you're good enough for church. There's some of you in here, you have a sin in your life that you can't seem to overcome. You can't seem to gain victory over it. And because of that, you look at yourself and you think of yourself as less than. Can I tell you, can I remind you what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2? When Jesus turned to the Pharisees and Jesus told them, he said, the healthy don't need a doctor, but it's the sick who need a doctor. I came for the sick. So can I remind you that this morning, if you have some struggles in your life or Maybe there's areas of your life that aren't as polished. Can I tell you that you're in good company? Can I tell you it's you that Jesus came after? Can I tell you it's you that Jesus died for? Can I tell you that you are worthy? That you're not the labels that your limits have created? You know, it's another thing. Whenever we have these limits, limits create labels. And whenever we limit God, we limit ourselves, it creates labels. For example, you have somebody who maybe God is asking you to do something out of your comfort zone. God is asking you to change careers. God is asking you to do something so uncomfortable. And and you feel like it's God talking to you, but... You have no idea how it's going to work out. You have no idea um, about anything. You just don't know how it could ever happen. Well, that limit creates a label of fear. And then there's others who maybe you're really not, you really haven't grasped this whole uh, who you really are, your new identity in Christ. That whenever you're in Christ, you become a new creation. The old is gone, the old is, is, is passed away, and, and, and you're new, and you're, you're more than a conqueror, and, 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 and you have victory and all these things, and yet you have this limited view. You really don't understand that. creates the label of being insecure. Limits create labels. A limited view will always get a limited experience. So there's these two barriers that Job has and I believe we have. Distorted view of God. Do you limit God? Where do you limit God? Because I can promise you there's more. I can promise you if you remove that label, if you take God out of that box, I can promise you 
He'll show up. He'll do things you would think were impossible. One way I'm doing it, one way I'm taking the limit off of God is I'm praying for my son Elijah. Our son Elijah has made tons of progress. Um, He's been diagnosed with some like sensory issues and stuff. Man, he's making all kinds of progress. But what I'm doing is I am not limiting God. I'm believing that God can just heal Elijah just like that fully. Because I want to experience that. So I'm not going to limit God. Because I want to experience that he can do that. You know, a lot of times we learn our limits about God. We learn them. They've been taught to us. Try unlearning some stuff. Try taking God at his word. We were taught to put these limits on God. We were taught that miracles were just um, in the Bible and that they don't happen anymore. Taught that stuff. It's not what scripture says. So, distorted view of God and a distorted view of ourselves. Maybe you have a too high view of yourself. Maybe the view of yourself is too low. I'm going to close by reading what it looks like to have a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of God. So as Dan comes back up, I just want to read to you this scripture. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He was high and he was lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another. And they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said... Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Proper view of God, high and lifted up, holy, holy, holy. Your glory fills the earth. Proper view of ourselves, Woe is me. I am lost in desperate need, in desperate need, in desperate need of God. That's the view you and I should have of ourselves. Desperate need of God. I don't care if you can name all 66 books. Congratulations. Desperate need of God. That's the view. That's the view. That's the view. Holy, holy, holy desperate, holy, 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 desperate, holy, 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 I'm desperate. That's the view. Listen to the words of this song. Maybe you're going through a time in your life where you're in desperate need. May we have a better perspective of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. So listen to this.
are faithful, you will lead me. You are faithful, you will keep me. You are faithful, you will lead me. Steady heart, let's sing. Steady heart that keeps on going. Steady love that keeps on hoping. Lead me on. Steady grace that keeps forgiving. Steady faith that keeps believing. Lead me on. Steady heart. Steady heart that keeps on going. Steady love that keeps on holding, lead me on. Steady grace that keeps believing, steady faith that keeps believing, lead me on. And as the dawn breaks, and the clouds. Together we will rise. One way we celebrate who God is and what He is capable of doing in our lives is through baptism. It's the symbol of the old life being put to rest and the new life coming out. So if you would have a seat for just a minute, we're going to celebrate baptism this morning. baptism today is one of the ordinances that we celebrate in First Church, and we recognize the importance of that as a step of faith, a step of obedience to our walk with the Lord. We'll be celebrating our next baptism on Easter Sunday. Some of you might be thinking about that. Is this another step for you in your journey with the Lord to consider baptism? We'll have a class a couple weeks prior to that, but talk to one of us pastors prior to that so we can just talk and get acquainted and to uh, help encourage you in that process and that journey. I've had the opportunity these last couple months to talk to Cami. You see her testimony written for you in the worship folder today. Take time to read that. But not only read it, but put it somewhere this week so you can be praying for her after today. As she comes to the Lord, renews her faith and her trust in the Lord, pray for her as she continues that journey, as she continues to grow in her faith and her knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cami, do you love the Lord today? Yes. Have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? And you promise that you'll open your life to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Tammy, because of your faith today in Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Hey, let's stand for one closing song. Let's celebrate together. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Everyone needs, everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, kindness of the Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. Every life to follow, everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Now I surrender. Savior, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light, let's sing it out. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Sing it for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. Sing it for the glory of the risen King. Sing it out, shine. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Sing it for the glory of the risen Shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. 
So I challenge you today as we leave this place um, just to give God a chance to take those limits off of God. Give him a chance. I'm reminded of the recipients of Jesus' healing. Some of them had responsibility. The man had to stretch out his withered hand. They had to go wash in the pool. Give God a chance. Do your part. Take the limits off. Watch what God can do and will do. God bless you guys. See you next week.